WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA presents our daughter Kara, a Supergirl podcast. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Lazowitz. And this week we're getting to know a new friend. Uh, she's the assistant editor at Women Write About Comics, and she covers Immortal Hulk, X Factor, and Power Rangers at XavierFiles.com. It's Corey McCreary. Welcome, 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 Corey. Hello, glad to be here. So uh, it's been a minute since we've done one of these uh, Our Son slash Our Daughter episodes. Uh, but basically the premise is we bring a butt on the show to talk about a favorite fictional character. Uh, if you dig through our archives, you'll find tributes to uh, Pete Wisdom, Cloud Strife, Kate Pride, and Mr. Freeze, which was also kind of an animated discussion, but you didn't come here for in-show in show deep lore semantics. Uh, you came <laughs> here for questions about the gal in the cape. So, uh, Corey, why is Kara Zor-El, uh, Supergirl, your, uh, your daughter, your uh, fictional <laughs> character of choice? <laughs> Oh, God. Um, so she's been my favorite character for going on two decades now. Um, I My first experience with her was, ironically, Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is still, to this day, one of the best Cars or L stories ever told. Um, it's where I fell in love with her. It's it is still one I go back to frequently and I still cry every time I read it. Um, I love her because I am at my core a lawful good do-gooder. Um, if I was a D&D class, I would be a paladin. I, I want to make the world a better place as for everyone that lives in it and so does Kara and she's not perfect but she tries and she's overshadowed by her more famous cousin but she still does her best um and there's also the the more heartbreaking side of the character where Everyone talks about the immigrant experience for Clark and the immigrant experience for Cal el mm -hmm. and how he grew up an immigrant, but he didn't really. He came to Earth as a baby. He grew up in America. He grew up raised by humans. Yes, he's an immigrant, but his immigrant story is much different. Kara mm -hmm. grew up on Krypton. She Depending on the version you look at, either she grew up on actual Krypton and got sent away as a teenager, or she grew up in Argo City, hurtling through space, but as part of Krypton society. She lost everyone. She lost everyone she knew. She lost her family. She lost her friends. Clark didn't experience that. He lost everyone, but he was a baby. He didn't know his parents. He didn't know his cousins. He didn't know everybody else on the planet. Kara had those relationships and she lost them all. So there's that grief that she has to go through and that, that heartbreak that she has to go through. And that, that resonates with me, not because I've experienced it, but because it makes her more human and makes her an ideal of she has suffered so much 
and yet still wants to put good into the world. Can I just jump in for one second and add that is one of the things that I love about the current TV show and the fact that they gave her a strong relationship with one of my favorites, Jean Jones, who's been through the the same experience much more so than Clark and the fact that they would understand each other always made so much sense to me. Absolutely. And the show has done so much right. Um, like I, I had high hopes going in because obviously, and I, I watched the leaked pilot when it leaked because I couldn't help myself. And I watched it probably a dozen times before the, the show actually premiered in October of that year. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just watched it over and over and over. And because even that really shoddy pilot, which was a TV pilot, they're all shoddy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, even that really shoddy pilot showed me that the creators of the show at least understood the basics of the character. And that's what I needed. So uh, for the listener, uh, I'll, I'll do kind of the, the, the Wikipedia tour uh, and, and by all means, <laughs> please feel free to jump in when, uh, you know, that, that wonderful site got it wrong. Uh, so Supergirl <laughs> was created in 1959 by Otto Binder and Al Plastino, first appeared in Action Comics 252. Uh, she is Superman's biological cousin. Uh, she was killed in uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, as we mentioned, and then brought back in 2004 by former DC co-publisher Dan Didio and two other people who probably should be written out of continuity. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, who introduced the backstory that we see uh, on the TV show in which she's actually supposed to be older than Clark, but her tiny ship got tossed along the way to Earth. Um, all of which followed a previous attempt to shove her back into continuity by, uh, we'll get there later. Uh, <laughs> She's she's been oh boy. A I get to talk about him today. Uh, <laughs> as the TV judge said, "Careful, counselor." Uh, <laughs> uh, she's been a member of the Justice League, the Teen Titans, the Legion of Superheroes, the Female Furies, and the Red Lanterns. Uh, Helen Slater played her in the 1984 film. Laura Vandervoort played her on Smallville. Nicole Tom voiced her in the DC animated universe, and uh, Melissa uh, Benoist plays her on the. Benoist. Thank you. Benoist plays her on the CW TV show. Uh, prior to her first appearance, DC tried several other female versions of Superman, mostly in dream sequences. Uh, uh, very stories. <laughs> yes. And also one wish fulfillment fantasy for Jimmy Olsen. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So there was Lois Lane thinking she got Superman's powers from a blood transfusion egg a la She-Hulk. There was a story where Superboy was gender swapped to teach him a lesson about not being mean to women drivers, uh. which... Jesus, if that isn't a Silver Age Superman story, I don't know what it is. Uh, and then there, there was a story where Jimmy Olsen wishes a female Superman into existence who sacrifices herself to save Superman from a kryptonite meteor. Uh, and then, of course, there's Power Girl, who is also Kara Zor-El, but from a different Earth and with a larger boob window. Um, guys, comics are nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that she spells her name differently. Yes, yes. Because it is Kara zor L, just the letter L, because she is from the Golden Age Earth, where that was how Cal L was spelled. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I think you already said this. Uh, you mentioned uh, your first encounter with Supergirl uh, was crisis number seven, which, uh, man, if you're gonna meet a character for the first time, um, <laughs> the issue yeah. where she dies. <laughs> so that's actually a running theme for me with the super family. <laughs> okay. Um, I should preface that it's the first time I met Kara Zor-El. Okay. It is not the first time I met Supergirl. Because my first ever comic, period, mm -hmm. was Superman number 75. Was that the death, was that of, death Superman? of Superman? Oh, the death Billy. Of Superman. Wow. So, like I said, it is a running theme for me with the super family where <laughs> I meet them and they bite it at the end of the issue. <laughs> um, like, I... I got into comics because of the national news that happened around Superman's death. When okay. the story broke and everyone was like, this is happening in a couple of months because the story broke with the solicits. So everyone knew it was coming. Um, I had said something to my mom about how I wanted to read that. And for Christmas that year, because it happened right around Christmas, I was given Superman number 75, um, Adventures of Superman number 498, which was the issue right after Superman 75, mm -hmm. and the Superman Archives volume one, okay, which contained Superman one through four. Mm -hmm. Um so my first encounter with superman was his death my first encounter with supergirl was i think she showed up in 75 but i don't think she was she was not herself okay she was a blob, blob of protoplasmic goo um oh the matrix yeah not the this one was, with keanu reeves yeah this was <laughs> what was known as the Matrix Supergirl, the one that was introduced by John Byrne um, right as he left the Superman books. And she was a shape-shifting protoplasmic alien from another dimension who decided to look like a Supergirl. Um, originally, she was modeled after Lana Lang, she eventually dropped the red hair and went blonde. Mm -hmm. um, for a time, she masqueraded as Superman. Um, like, it was a weird character, and her continuity only got messier as it went on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, she's the one that got turned into an angel by Peter David at some point. Right. Um, like, so that was my first introduction to Supergirl, but I never really clicked with the Matrix version. Sure. Um, especially when she went off into her own title, because one thing people know about me on Twitter is that I do not like Peter David's writing one way or another, and he was on that book for 75 issues. I've read them all. I don't remember much of them. Mm -hmm. Um... But 
for Kara, yeah, I met her in Crisis Number Seven. Mm -hmm. um, because I was, at that point, I was diving into the deeper DC mythology, and I started reading Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, because it's something that you have to do if you dive into the deeper DC mythology. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I guess technically before I actually read Crisis 7, I met her in Crisis 4 and 5 and 6. Mm -hmm. But she was just tangential in those issues. And I read them all at once. So the one that sticks with me is 7. Mm -hmm. And... Like I said, it's the one that really helps me to define the character. Mm -hmm. uh, because in the end, the reason she the reason she dies is she sacrifices herself for her cousin and for the world, because she knows that the world needs him more than it needs her. Mm -hmm. And it's heartbreaking. It's sad. I've seen it in multiple different forms now. Mm -hmm. I've got the, I've got the single issue. Like Crisis is the thing I own the most of, mm -hmm. um, comic book wise. Mm -hmm. I have two copies of Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven. Uh, in print, mm -hmm. I have the original trade paperback. I have the hardcover. I have the absolute edition. Mm -hmm. Jealous. I have, <laughs> I have the digital copies because sometimes I need to pull panels from them. So I spent the money on the digitals. Mm -hmm. And most recently, I purchased the giant $500 box set Wow. That contains all of the tie-in issues to Crisis, mm -hmm. the entire series itself, and then an entire book of back matter. Wow. Yeah, it's a beautiful box set. I, I do not regret spending the money on it at all, but it <laughs> it is heavy and it is big. Um, and then I have the audio book the audiobook and i have the novelization <laughs> like i have so many different versions of crisis mm -hmm. it's kind of ridiculous so basically in your office office setting or whatever you could turn your head in any direction and see superman dramatically holding the body of his cousin openly weeping toward the heavens <laughs> yeah Pretty much, actually. <laughs> um, Matt, since I'm the uh, you know the odd man out, you know, actually fairly recent DC convert, but we all started reading comics. It sounds like right around the same time. Um, you know, what do you remember your first encounter with uh, Supergirl? I I've been trying to remember, and it's not jumping to mind. Mm -hmm. I know. Oh, I knew the character when I started reading Superman because I wasn't confused when 
she showed up. Although I didn't know the whole Matrix thing because it was a it was Matrix because I started reading Superman. The, I began my on again off again relationship with the Superman titles mm-hmm. with uh, the Crisis of the Crimson Kryptonite, Superman forty nine. Because there's this okay. great cover of Lex Luthor mm-hmm. beaming Superman with a piece of kryptonite, and leads into the enga- the issue where he proposes to Lois, which yeah. I didn't know as I just started reading comics and it was like, boy, I was kind of lucky. And then Matrix shows up shortly thereafter and starts dating Lex Luthor's son, who is of course Lex (laughs) Luthor in a young cloned body with an Australian accent and a giant mane of red hair and a big red beard. Um, Lex Luthor the second, everybody. Comics! Um, and he had no wait, hold on. He had an Australian accent because he said like Wolverine yeah. in the Pride of the X Men. Yes, uh, pilot. because yeah. he said he was yeah. Luthor's illegitimate son who'd been raised in Australia. And dingoes took him away. Yes, <laughs> if only. Um, but shortly there, you know, after about uh, after a couple of years of that, it you know the clones started to degenerate and it became a thing and blah blah blah. And then bah. he sold his soul to, sold to the devil, and he got his original body back. Yeah. Yeah, and the Joker sold the souls to the devil at the same time for a box of exploding Cuban cigars because, let's be fair, the Joker's soul is probably not even worth that on the soul market. That, was but, that uh, Underground Unleashed? Underworld Unleashed. Yes. Underworld yep. Unleashed, thank you. Yep. <laughs> wow. A vastly underrated crossover if you're reading it just for sheer batshit, what were they thinking? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I have a soft spot for Underworld Unleashed. I mean, it's not good. Not even Mark <laughs> Wade who wrote it says it's good. No, like, it, it's not. I recently reread it because I'm, I'm also in the middle of rereading all of Kyle Rayner's appearances. Ah, so I reread Underworld Unleashed, and it was it was terrible. It, it's not good, but it's it's crazy, glorious comic book nonsense. And it's only three issues, which, you know, is so much better than some of those other DC crossovers of that era. Genesis, that go on and on and on for four to six issues and are just like, why won't this end? Uh, Or today's era, where you have seven to eight issues, plus 17 crossover issues. Yeah, and most of and, and frankly, while under the core miniseries of all, it says World, the people great. who are all looking forward to twenty-two comics about swords coming out very shortly. <laughs> but the the crossovers <laughs> for Underworld were a lot of fun because a lot of writers just got to have fun creating new versions of some of these the the B and C list villains. And then there were some that weren't as good. But damn it, that issue of Starman with the new Doc Phosphorus was, with Ted Knight being hunted by Doc Phosphorus was a great issue. My favorite is Killer Moth becoming an actual human moth hybrid. (laughs) (laughs) That one was crazy, and I loved it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The Kyle Rayner one where Mr. Freeze is suddenly able to conduct cold is, is something. Uh, I'm not not necessarily sure it's good, but again, it's just glorious comic book nonsense. Uh, yeah, and I was did the Matrix because Clark was off in space for Trial of Superman at that point. I'm trying to remember, I mean, there was a Hellermite. One, I guess he wasn't really part of that. Even the Superman titles didn't really cross into that event. No, but other it, than Lex Luthor. 
Right. And you know what, for, again, for all, and it's my deep affection for it, but it, Underworld itself pays off a lot at the end of Starman. So I'll, I'll give it that for all the stuff with uh, the mist and Culp and uh, Neuron swearing revenge on the shade, who is just the best. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure I must have read something, you know, when I was younger, when my uncles would just buy random comics off the racks and give them to me. I must have read something with Supergirl. Because it's like, did I see her in a cartoon? But no, I mean, I don't remember her being in Super Friends. I don't think she ever was, and I don't remember her. Maybe she was in some of the syndicated Superman cartoons. Not that I, I don't remember. Yeah, neither can I. So I was like, I don't know why I was familiar, other than maybe having seen the movie on, you know, Saturday afternoon at some point or another. I had a VHS of the movie, and I wore it out. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, it is one of two VHSs that I actually legitimately wore out to the point where they were unwatchable. What was the other one? Uh, Return of the Jedi. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. 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 My, my Batman 89 fell apart. <laughs> I watched that dang thing so many times. Um, so I had typed into the show notes what I thought my own first experience with Supergirl was. Uh, and then Matt had to type into the show notes. No, Dan, she wasn't even in that episode, but I, it was, I, I picked like a random, okay. So Supergirl was on justice league unlimited. We can all yes, agree on that. Yes, That's absolutely. a fact, right? Okay. Yes. I thought that she was in the episode where like seven of the lesser lights of the league got put in some parade because nobody else in the league was available, you know, available. And then they end up saving the day somehow anyway and that was like no that was star girl and that was a seven soldiers of victory reference yep and yep. you didn't get it i'm like yeah, <laughs> she spends time in skataris in one episode and there's an episode with her in the legion which i the I, legion one is one of my favorite yeah, episodes me, I, I love that episode Unlimited. yeah I, I i have a soft spot for that might be the my first real exposure to Kara was legion back issues uh, when I was heart. starting to read bits and pieces of the Legion, because that happened in between the end of, you know, the Matrix series would have ended and it was before Batman Superman when I was starting to get into the Legion. So I probably, my first really conscious memory of her probably, other than Crisis 7, which I would have read at that point, would have been <laughs> that and a story that I'll bring up in a minute. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the yeah the next part of this was going to be uh, Corey, you know, do you have a, a favorite, uh, you know, a favorite Supergirl story? Uh, so I've got, I've got a few. <laughs> okay. Um, Crisis is it, one of them. <laughs> like part, part of it goes to what era we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, because the, the different Karas are very delineated. Because you have pre-crisis Kara, you have post-crisis Kara, you have New Fifty Two and Rebirth Kara, who are both mm -hmm. the same, um, and then you have Matrix in between. Uh, for pre-crisis, my favorites are Crisis on Infinite Earths, mm -hmm. um, a a weird one that is one that not a lot of people know about. 
which is a Christmas special published. That's mine. I was <laughs> about to get old acquaintance. Uh, two years, I think, after yep. Crisis on Infinite yep. Earth, so she was already dead. Alan Brenner. It's oh, should uh, should her and dead her and dead man. I f- love that yeah. story. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is it is fantastic, and again, it's one of those that encap- encapsulates the spirit of the character. Pun not intended, um, <laughs> because it is it is a ghost Kara meeting a dejected dead man who is down in spirits because he doesn't think what he does matters. Because because people don't remember him and he doesn't get credit for it. And Kara is the one that picks him up and says, you know, it doesn't matter if people remember us. It doesn't matter if we get the credit for the things we do as long as we are making the world better, as long as what we did made a difference. And... At this point, Kara had been erased from continuity. She did not exist. Superman was the lone Kryptonian. Kara's sacrifice didn't really do much because the universe reset and nobody remembered her. Nobody knew that she even existed. But here's this story where she's saying that doesn't matter as long as we made the world better. And as she leaves, she introduces herself as Kara. And for fans of the Silver Age Supergirl, it is a very touching tribute and a very, very good send-off for that character one last time. And then... I also have a soft spot for Daring New Adventures of Supergirl by Alan Kupperberg and Carmine Infantino. Um, it's a 23-issue series. It ran right before her death. Um, it's very Bronze Age and not great by any standards of the word, mm-hmm. but it's fun. It has silly moments and it introduced my favorite costume which is the crisis on infinite earths era costume with the red shoulders and the headband uh, okay uh-huh. uh and then uh for modern Ka- modern kara um the entire sterling gates and jamal eigel run on the character um defined the character after several years of not good stories by Jeff Loeb and Joe Kelly and just they brought her back and I appreciate that but they did not do good things with her um two issues by Greg Rucka before he got run off the book yeah and those are probably the worst two issues of Greg Rucka's career yeah (laughs) um I love the man. I love him dearly, but those are probably the worst two issues of his career. Which is so strange because um, that was right when he was an architect of the DC universe. I was kind of like, yeah. what was going? I mean, it's it's you know he's working I mean, on. 50. I mean, look, some good writers are just bad fits on certain books. I mean, look yeah. at Brubaker on X Men. 
you know look at fraction at marvel period old ff yeah and hawkeye you know i'm thinking more like x-men or like uh inhumans yeah everybody gets one Everybody yeah, gets yeah. one. And, Everybody gets one. And like Rucka tackled the character much better later on when he co-wrote parts of the uh, the new Krypton saga. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. But so that entire era of the character is by far my favorite era of the character. I've gone so far as to have a custom omnibus made. Ooh. Which has all of the Sterling Gates and Jamal Eigel run in it. Nice. It is signed Son. by Sterling, oh, yeah. Jamal, Greg Rucka, because he co-wrote some of the issues in it. It has mm. a sketch on the inside cover by Jamal. Nice. It has a sketch on the back inside cover by cover artist Joshua Middleton of the series. Nice. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, um, did you get the world's finest issue with Kara and Stephanie bound in there? It is in there, yes. Because I was going to say, because that was Sterling, too, because I got a yep. Stephanie from him based on that issue. Uh, yep. We're saying Stephanie Brown? Yes. Yep. Okay. <laughs> the yep. Batgirl at the same time that Kara was Supergirl. Ah, uh, okay. Or that version of Kara was Supergirl, which actually is a good segue into my other favorite comic, and probably my favorite single issue of all time um, of this era of Supergirl, which is not a Supergirl issue. It is a Brian Q. Miller Batgirl issue. Uh, Batgirl number 14. Yep. Which is an issue where Supergirl and Batgirl are having a sleepover. Fun. And have to fight twenty some odd Draculas. <laughs> not, not not vampires. Very specifically, Draculas. Draculas. That's honestly that is my favorite kind of vampire story when they are specifically Draculas. Um, because they went to a a silent movie era cinematic showing of a Dracula, mm-hmm. and Draculas just started pouring out of the screen. Um, and it's just a whole issue of them fighting these, these black and white Draculas because they remained black and white. And like, it's just a fun issue of two girlfriends having a good time together. And like, there, there are such good moments at the beginning. Um, Kara shows up for the sleepover and says, are we going to? Are we gonna go to a a keg party? <laughs> um, and God, I can't remember the other college joke she made. And Steph asks her what kind of college movies she's been watching, and she's like, "Oh, all of them." <laughs> and then trouble brews, and Kara rips open her shirt. Mm-hmm. And she looks at Steph and she goes, are you going to? And Stephanie goes, not unless you want to see my bra. <laughs> and Car goes, are there bats on it? 
<laughs> I assure you they are not. Um, and like, there's a silly aside where they get stuck in one of those, uh, those little photo booths mm-hmm. because they chased a Dracula into it. So there's one picture of them staking the Dracula. And then there's four pictures of them just making goofy faces, <laughs> which is a gag that got brought over to the TV show. And I was sent by one of the writers of the show that year who has become a friend of mine thanks to Twitter and because of our love of the character. And he sent me a prop from the show, which is the the photo strips that they printed for a scene in the show where... Kara fought a monster in a photo booth, which was a reference to that issue of Batgirl. Oh, wow. That's great. You know, one thing I know about the Supergirl show is they were always very good about putting references into creators from like all over them. Like, I think, I think there was like an intersection named after uh, Gates and Eigel at some point, I think early. Uh, God, I want to say it was the pilot. Oh, wow. Okay. I want to say they dropped Gates and Eigel in the pilot along with the Otto Bender Bridge. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. If it wasn't the pilot, it was very early in season one. It was within the first three episodes of the show. So you mentioned the costume with the red shoulder pads and the red and the headband. And I know that one very well because uh, there's a puzzle hanging in my son's room that's like a bunch of the dc characters and it's in that like early to mid 80s like jose luis garcia lopez house style most of the characters harley quinn's in there so i I don't know who drew (laughs) that um but uh if i remember right carl kiesel that makes sense yeah uh but uh it you know so it's got supergirl in that in that costume and every time i look at it i'm like Man, she just stepped right out of that Olivia Newton-John video, didn't she? <laughs> yeah, yep. Sure did. <laughs> Permed hair and all. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it, that is a very time-stamped uh, look. Oh, yeah. It, it, it is very dated. And it's not the headband or the big hair that make it special for me. Mm-hmm. It's I always loved the way that the shoulders look. Okay. Because the shoulders extend from the S symbol. And I just, I really like that look for her. It, it makes it more dynamic. It gives her her own look rather than, eh, she's a girl wearing Superman shirt. True, true. So. Yeah. I also really love the 70s costume, which is the, the blouse with the plunging neckline and the hot okay. pants. Mm-hmm. And the lace-up booties. Where, like, the S is, like, kind of off to the sides, a little bit smaller. Yep. Yeah. Just on one on one uh, side of the shirt. Yeah. Okay. So we're dealing with a, a DC character who has existed since the late 50s. Um, what is your favorite piece of ridiculous Supergirl continuity? <laughs> oh boy 
He's All right. The horse. So <laughs> you had to go steal my thunder there, Dan. Because <laughs> I already wrote the whole thing about the horse that he read. Because I, in case, in case there was something I didn't realize about the characters, like nothing oh, comes to mind God. except for the horse. But please, you are our guest. That's true. Yes. Um, I, I will get into the horse. But before the horse, I'll talk about the cat. <laughs> oh, spooky. Um, so Superman, as a boy, had a pet dog named mm-hmm. Crypto. Crypto stayed with him through adulthood, so he was Superman's pet dog, Crypto. Superman also had a pet monkey named Beppo at some point. Yep. Um, so Supergirl had to be given her own pets. And her pets are much weirder than Superman's pets. <laughs> Both of Superman's pets are actually animals from the planet Krypton. It's a dog from Krypton and it's a monkey from Krypton. Simple. Checks out, yep. <laughs> Supergirl's pets are weird. <laughs> um, Streaky the super cat is a, an earth cat who was given all the powers of the Superman family by a failed kryptonite cure that Kara was trying to create. Hmm. She, throughout all incarnations of her, Kara has been a scientist. Hmm. Um, It's one thing that has stuck with her through multiple eras is that she is very smart and very scientific. Mm-hmm. And Kara was trying to come up with a cure for kryptonite so that it no longer plagued her or her cousin or her cousin's dog or her cousin's any monkey. other random crypt- or her cousin's monkey or any of the other random kryptonians they came across because they were all over in the silver age mm-hmm. despite Superman being the last son of Krypton. Um the rest were all nephews. <laughs> so, well, the whole damn city of them miniaturized, yeah, yeah, but still. Yeah. The city of Kandor, mm-hmm. uh, all of the Phantom Zone criminals. Like, there were <laughs> tons of Kryptonians just floating around. Um, the, the Kryptonite cure didn't work, but it had the opposite effects of imbuing Kryptonian powers on regular folk. And she had tossed the crypt or the ex kryptonite <laughs> out the window and Streaky found it and it got rolled up in a ball of string because cat <laughs> and every so often he would play with the ball of string and suddenly get superpowers. Um, he got his cape off of a Supergirl doll accidentally (laughs) that just happened to fall down and he got his head stuck in the cape and suddenly he has a cape Mm -hmm. and he would just cause mayhem because he's a cat and cats do that um, and there, there were several stories where 
Streaky gets into a fight with Crypto, or Streaky saves the day somehow, and and he just stuck with Kara for the rest of that era. Mm-hmm. After a time, he stopped playing with the ex-Kryptonite and was just a regular normal cat again for mm-hmm. the remainder of his days. Um, but what we really want to talk about is the horse. Because yeah. all girls need a pet horse, right? And Kara's no exception. Except she is an exception because her pet horse isn't a horse. <laughs> Her pet horse is Comet the Super Horse, who is, again, not Kryptonian and doesn't actually have all the Kryptonian powers. He has a different power set because of who he is. Mm-hmm. He can fly. He is fast. So he does have that range. He is stronger than usual, which is terrifying because he is a horse and horses are already strong. Mm-hmm. But Comet's story begins in ancient Greece because Comet was actually a centaur. And his name as a centaur is escaping me right now. Uh, I've. Uh, Byron. Or Byron, yep. or however they wanted to pronounce and it's been a long time since i've read the comet issues um i used to do a a supergirl in the silver age podcast um supergirl power hour where we were going through all of the silver age supergirl books in order Mm -hmm. and we did get to comet I don't remember all the details anymore because it's been five years since I've read those issues. I need to go back and reread them. Mm-hmm. But he angered the witch Cersei. Like the actual DC Comics villain is Cersei. Yeah. Well, well oh. kind of, sort of, maybe. <laughs> in the same way that in the Silver Age, you know, you could have Hercules show up in three different books and it was a slightly different version of Hercules. Right. And- yeah, like it's not necessarily the Wonder Woman villain, seriously, okay. but based on the same mythological character, so possibly. <laughs> Comics, um, everybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, or rather, no, he actually, he was in love with Cersei. Yes. Yes, I think. Um, he angered one of her rivals. Yes, yes, York. Yes. Um, but Cersei was going to turn him into a full man so that they could live a happy life together. And instead, at the last minute, her rival switched the spell on them and turned him into a whole, whole horse. the silver age oops all berries (laughs) (laughs) and cersei was trying to find a way to reverse this change and i don't remember the reasoning behind it but she ditched him on a comet out in space Mm -hmm. well she tried to work on a cure which is how he gets the name comet 
A cure for horse. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, eventually, he makes his way to Earth and saves Kara and falls in love with Kara. Legitimately, as a horse, falls in love with Kara. And I don't God, I don't remember how this happens either. But at one point, he does get turned into a human man and goes by the alias Bronco Bill as a circus cowboy and romances Kara as Bronco Bill. <laughs> Silver Age, everybody! <laughs> and, like, he always reverts back to Comet in the end of the issues. <laughs> and <laughs> it's never spoken of, and he keeps his secret identity from Kara so that she doesn't know that she fell in love with her horse as a man. Like, it's just, it's weird. But it's it's weird in that fun Silver Age wacky kind of way, but also in a very creepy this man is thousands of years old and falling in love with a teenager. It's also very Greek mythology. Yeah. This yeah. is what Zeus used to do in his on his days off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> From Zeusing. Um <laughs> Where is the Zeus I used to know who turned into a swan to pick up chicks? I grew up. <laughs> uh, and like he didn't. So, and this is actually something that is brought back by Peter David during his run on the character. Um, only his version of Comet is a gender fluid alien that is sometimes a horse and sometimes a centaur and sometimes a weird looking alien person. Um, one of the very few moments. And sometimes of, a gay stand up comic. Yeah. Yeah. That too. And one of the very few Supergirl moments I remember from Peter David's run, I remember because of how, how how cringy it is um his version of comet goes on to marry a bisexual woman mm -hmm. um after he realized after he she they realizes that kara is not going to recipro reciprocate their feelings mm -hmm. Um, and they tell Kara about the nuptials in an issue and are excited because since they mar married a bisexual woman, whatever gender presentation they feel like suits them at the time doesn't matter to their spouse. And Kara responds in a very 
that's too much information. I don't need to hear about your sex life kind of way. Mm-hmm. And it, it reads to me as David trying to pull a joke, but not realizing that this is the kind of thing that bi and trans people hear in our daily lives all the time. And that it is a hurtful kind of thing because it's boiling our attractions and boiling our our lives down to nothing more than our sex life. Two-time GLAD-winning uh, <laughs> writer. Yeah, too. yeah. He won an award for that year of Supergirl, actually, which doesn't feel great to me, but... <laughs> well... Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure you have happier questions to ask. <laughs> yes, I sure do. Uh, in fact, one one of them you answered in the in the uh, in the pre-show. But uh, you know, do you have any original Supergirl art? I do. Um, I have several pieces. Um, I have a George Perez Supergirl sketch. Um, I have an Elsa Charretier. Supergirl sketch. I have a Scott Koblish Supergirl sketch. Um, I have a Jamal Eigel Supergirl blank cover sketch. Um, all four of these are the headband costume. Nice. Because that's what I requested of all of them. Keep that branch tall. Um, <laughs> I have, as I mentioned while I was talking about the the omnibus that I had custom made. I have a Jamal Eigel sketch in the omnibus of his Supergirl. And I have a Josh Middleton sketch in the omnibus of that era of Supergirl. I have a page from Supergirl number 51 by Jamal Eigel. And I have a page from, I want to say, Supergirl 20. Um, It's not here in the room with me, so I can't look at it and and actually determine the number. But from the most recent Supergirl run, um, it's a Kevin McGuire page uh, of Supergirl art. that one has that one I bought specifically because it has not only Kara on it, but it also has crypto. And it has one of my other favorite DC characters, Kyle Rayner. Ah. So like it was a ooh impulse $250 con floor purchase at Jamal mm-hmm. or at Kevin McGuire's booth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> gotta, gotta treat yourself. Um, <laughs> uh, have you ever done any uh, Supergirl cosplay? Multiple. Okay. I have a... I have a Silver Age... Supergirl, or well, I guess Bronze Age Supergirl cosplay. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I talked about earlier with the hot pants and the the uh, the V neck, mm-hmm. the V neck blouse. Um, 
in the choker cape. Um, I did that one for Emerald City Comic Con several years ago, nice. which is not an ideal costume to wear in early March in S Seattle. Sure, yeah. It, it's a very cold costume to wear in <laughs> early March in Seattle. Um, I specifically wore it because one of my Seattle friends has a dog who is the spitting image of crypto. Oh, wow. Um, and so we took a small photo shoot together with him wearing my cape and me giving him pets mm -hmm. and the best picture we got of it is him giving me a face kiss Aww. and like it's adorable and it is perfect um my biggest claim to fame probably mm -hmm. in supergirl twitter circles is one of my cosplays um i have a crisis era Supergirl cosplay. Okay. And if you look at my Twitter account, my profile picture for the last several years has been the time where I did a photo op with one Brandon Routh where we reenact the crisis cover. Corey, I owe you an apology because I honestly thought your avatar was a promotional still from the crossover from like two years ago. Or like last year from the CW crossover. Wow, that's amazing. Um, like Brandon, Brandon was not wearing that when we did the did the photo op. Like I have the original picture of him in street clothes. He's wearing a Star Lab sh shirt. Okay. <laughs> um, but I have a friend who is a fantastic artist and photo manipulator ah. and originally he took my picture and he photoshopped Brandon into his Superman Returns costume mm -hmm. flawlessly <laughs> and then when it got revealed that Brandon was coming back as Superman and specifically as Kingdom Come Superman mm -hmm. in Crisis on Infinite Earths my friend was like, oh, it's time to update your picture. <laughs> and sent me an updated version of him in that costume where he actually took the time to actually artificially gray Brandon's temples and everything uh -huh. so that it looks perfect. Um, but yeah, I, I have... I've collected two of the living Supermen in my quest to take the crisis picture with all of them. Okay. Who's the, uh, who's the other one? The Cavill? other one. Hexland? No, we oh. don't like to talk oh, about the other one anymore. Oh, that one. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was before the bad times with him. Okay. Um, shortly before the bad times with him, but before the bad times with him. Okay, so when he was still hosting um, Ripley's Believe It or Not. <laughs> uh, might have been slightly after that. It was, okay. <laughs> it was like 2014, 2015. Okay. So it was before he went completely off the rails. Like he was 
he was still not great on Twitter, but he wasn't what he is now. Yes, yes. Um, and he, to be fair, he was super kind to me in person. Mm-hmm. But he still doesn't like people like me, so mm-hmm. I don't look at that picture anymore, and I'm glad that I replaced it with a much better one, because Brandon has been super nice to me on multiple occasions, mm-hmm. and is actually a great person overall. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he's just a wonderful human being. Uh like I said, my picture with him was also a few years ago, mm-hmm. but I got to meet him at a con again last year, uh, before the bad times. Yes. <laughs> um, and he remembered me, oh. and it was it was shortly after they had revealed his costume, uh, so he was selling pictures of him in the new costume, mm-hmm. and it my friend had already done the the change mm-hmm. and like Brandon saw the original one that my friend had done because I tagged him on it on Twitter and he retweeted it on Twitter because he was super impressed um but I showed him the new version and he's like oh wow this is so good <laughs> and he also made me show Courtney um Courtney Ford his wife um, and co-star on Legends of Tomorrow. Um, Nora Dark. Oh, really? Yeah. They're married in yeah. real life? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. why their chemistry yep. is oh, so oh. good. No shit. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. She, she's also the mother of the Antichrist on Supernatural. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and they are also the the textbook different... De- uh, textbook definition of a height gap relationship (laughs) because he is like a full four or five inches taller than me and she is a full four or five inches shorter than me (laughs) like i took pictures with both of them and like she's up to here and he's up here Mm -hmm. i'm like huh yeah that that's a big difference (laughs) but they're both the sweetest people in the world and so um I have that cosplay. And then I also, I have a Supergirl TV cosplay. Okay. Um, The original costume with the skirt and Mm -hmm. the tights and the Mm -hmm. boots. Um, I would like to get a a new one with the pants. That Mm -hmm. would be great. (laughs) And also really good for Emerald City because, again, cold. (laughs) awesome uh so the most recent volume of the supergirl comic was canceled this year uh one of many at dc in the year of our coronavirus slash didio ouster slash distributor slap slash at&t layoff slash digital first tom taylor alt universe uh 2020 um so uh Twitter user Quinn Schuyler asks, uh, what is a future story or crossover that you would like to see Kara uh, uh, appear in or, or participate in next? Honestly, the next thing I want DC to do, and one that is actually plausible with the direction they are moving their publishing division in, mm-hmm. um, because it sounds like they're going to be moving away from more 
big broad continuity books mm-hmm. and into more isolated titles and prestige series and mm-hmm. things like that um sterling gates has talked for years about the things that he wanted to do in his last couple of years on the supergirl title mm-hmm. um he left the title shortly before the new 52 and shortly before what he really wanted to do to end his run. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, he was going to tell a death of Supergirl story Mm. um, that would start in Supergirl number 75 um, as an homage to Superman 75. And it was going to be a year-long story that would define the character forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and bring her back and just leave her in a great place for whoever took over for him. Sadly, DC had other plans. Um, the New 52 happened. But he's talked about, in recent years an all-star Supergirl series that he would love to do. He would love to bring Jamal back for it Mm -hmm. um, and do just a 12-issue prestige series. Not necessarily telling his Death of Supergirl story, but at least telling an iconic Supergirl story to stand the test of time. And if there's one writer that I would trust to do that, Mm -hmm. it would be Sterling. Um, he has again Supergirl fandom has brought me many unusual friendships that I never imagined myself having like mm-hmm. I I was friends with one of the writers on the show for who left the show last season but he was on the show for three years mm-hmm. um, I'm friends with Sterling Gates I've had lunch with him at comic-con a couple of times like he he's a wonderful person he gets the character he loves the character she is his favorite character Mm -hmm. in the dc universe and in all of comics and i want him to get one more shot with her i want him to get to tell his last story Mm -hmm. and like i said the way that dc's publishing line is moving I hope that he gets his shot. I would love him to get his shot. It would make a, it would make a good graphic novel, or maybe a black label, yeah. or or you know whatever. Yeah. <laughs> or help. There's no Supergirl title right now, so just you know. Yeah. Is she, is she still infected? Was that the last thing no. that happened to her? She became a, a Supergirl who laughs or whatever. She just she popped up in action this week, back to normal. Okay. Thank well, you. and she she returned to normal for like the last three issues of her series before it got canceled. Okay. All right. Um, so they at least left her in a good spot. Um, mm. I feel bad for Jody Hauser. Yeah. Um, this is the was second she the last writer on the series? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Um, this is this was her second time on the series. Oh. And they both got curtailed. Um, like in the same volumes? I know it got canceled for a little bit and then they brought it back with uh, Mark and Draco or, what, or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
so she was co-writing it with Steve Orlando for the last several issues of his run. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Other than the one issue that Vidayala co-wrote, oh, okay. which I don't know why I didn't think of it earlier when we were talking about favorite Supergirl stories, but mm-hmm. that is also one of my favorite, absolute favorite single issues of all time. Uh, Vita's. Um, Vita's, yeah. Um, Supergirl number 19... Mm-hmm. where she befriend, uh, befriends a young non-binary kid named mm-hmm. Lee. Okay. Which is why Steve brought Vita on to co-write it. Got it. Is mm-hmm. to bring a non-binary voice onto a story where he was going to provide non-binary rep. Yeah. Um, they told a story about her befriending this, this kid and helping this kid learn to stand up for themselves mm-hmm. and not be afraid of who they are. And it's, uh, again, one of those that just dives into the core of the character and how much she wants to help, how much she, she has empathy for others and compassion for others. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of the many things that uh, Sterling brought to the character is he gave her her own motto that is her answer to Superman's truth, justice, and the American way. Mm-hmm. Um, she was asked if Superman stands for truth, justice, and the American way, what do you stand for? Mm-hmm. And her answer was, I'm Supergirl. I stand for hope, help, and compassion for all. And it is one of the most lasting parts of Sterling's legacy. It is something that has been brought to the television show on multiple occasions. It was part of the crisis crossover. Um, where she dropped that line. Um, And it really encapsulates what she means. She is a beacon of hope. She's a beacon of compassion. And she wants to help. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, uh, Jody co-wrote a few issues and then it got... It didn't ever actually get canceled. It just got put on hiatus. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it came back with the, the same numbering that it had left off on. Right. Um, by Mark Draco, as you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, he told a, a year-long story where she was in space, and it didn't really do much. Okay. Um. And then she came back to Earth and got infected by the Batman who laughs. Yeah. Which is right when Jody Hauser takes over. <sighs> so she gets steamrolled by editorial into having to deal with yet another evil Supergirl story. Because yeah, we haven't had enough of those in 10 years. And then got to wrap it up and bring Kara back to a status quo of a hero again but not really trusted because 
Right. She just went evil again. Mm-hmm. Um, and now her title is canceled. Um, like Matt said, she just popped up in Action Comics mm-hmm. uh, as part of the House of Kent story that Brian Michael Bendis is doing. But is he doing House of Kent in Action and then Powers of Kent in, in the regular Superman title? Bad joke. Uh, I, the children are right to boo me. <laughs> I, I can't even remember what what story is going on in Superman. Actually, it's just <laughs> I think it, it's been a bunch of shorter ones. There was he fought. Uh, a, yeah, an, an there was Lord a Doctor Chaos, Fate. Fate. Yeah, it's Kevin McGuire art, so it's real pretty. Yeah. No. No, that one looks better than action, but action is telling a oh, better action story. Action has been leaps and bounds the the better of the two Superman titles. And, and I, I, I want her to, to, to meet and have a good conversation with Brainy, because Brainy's back. Yeah, come yeah. On, come on, come yeah. on. Yeah. Bring her over. John, bring her to the future with you for an arc. Come on. Yes. Please let her meet the Legion. I love her in the Legion. Let her meet them. Ah, that, that's a good note to start a wind start to start winding down on. Put Kara in the Legion, you cowards. Um, <laughs> but uh, well, uh, yeah. what where, where are you reading uh, apart from apart from Supergirl? <laughs> um, I am currently in a year long project where I am reading all of X-Men. Now, when you say all of X-Men, I, what, are, what, what, you know, <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a broad... Uh, uh, <laughs> it is a broad... Um, it is a broad statement. When I say all of X-Men, I mean all of X-Men. Um, okay. I am reading all of Uncanny, all of adjectiveless all of astonishing and then every tangentially related x title so all the wolverine books all of the x forces and new mutants all of the one shots all of the mini series year long or years long <laughs> because hell's bells that's a lot of comics it is um and I meant what I said. Uh, technically, I started in early December of last year. Okay. But my goal is to finish on December 31st or before. Um, well, is... how, far are, how far along are you? All right. So, total, mm-hmm. total issues of... X-Men related, and this is a little bit off because I haven't updated the spreadsheet since the before times of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything that's been released since, which granted is not that much in comparison to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm probably only off by like 30 issues at this point. Um, but 1963 to 2020... Mm-hmm. is 6,368 issues. Wow. So by the end of the year, it'll be 
well over 600 or 6,400. Mm-hmm. Um, I am currently at. I am currently at 4,509 issues read. Wow. With 1,859 issues left. Now, are you reading chronologically? Are you going by series? How are you kind of breaking it down? So what I am doing for the most part is a as chronological as I can. Mm-hmm. But I'm reading one arc at a time. So (laughs) what I will do is I've got a vast spreadsheet Mm -hmm. where everything is broken down by release week. And I will just go to the next thing in my list. And whatever book that is, I will read a full arc of that story. If it's a miniseries, I'll read the whole miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a one-shot, I'll just read the one-shot. Or if it's an ongoing title, I will read one arc, depending on what that is, what mm-hmm. that entails. Um, whether it's one issue or 12 issues, as some of them have gotten. Um, and then after I finish the arc, I will go back to the last thing I left off on and just continue that process. Okay. To hit my goal, I have to average 15 issues a day for the rest of the year. Hmm. Currently, I am averaging 16.5 issues a day. Um... And it fluctuates. I didn't start keeping track of the daily totals until midway through. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can typically do on a weeknight somewhere between 20 and 25 issues. Um, And then on a weekend, I can usually do somewhere around 50 issues a day. Wow. So what was the the last arc that you uh, plowed through? God, what was the last thing I read last night? Um, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't good. Um, the it last was from thing the 2000s. Read, and, no. uh, from 2011 is where I'm at in year-wise. Okay. Uh, so I'm just about to hit schism. Um, but the last thing I read was Wolverine Black, Cla- uh, Black Cat Claws 2. Oh. I'm by sorry. Joseph, by, by Jimmy Palmiotti and Joseph Michael Linzer. And oh. it was terrible. Yeah, you know, you, you, you had me with Palmiotti and then you said Linzer. And I was like, okay, I can see exactly how this comic was drawn. Yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't good. It, it, okay. Everybody gets one. <laughs> Jimmy. Uh, well, well, let's, no, let's... no, this was two for Jimmy because he also did Wolverine Black, Cla- Black Cat Claws 1 with Linzer 
several years before. And why they were given a sequel series several years later, I don't know. They drove a dumb truck full of money up to his house. He's uh, not made of stone. Uh, <laughs> uh, so so what, what, what's the next item on the list then? Uh, the next thing I have is an Ark of X-23 by Marjorie Lou. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And then after that is right into Schism. So okay. we'll, we'll see where we're the. So uh, the, the unfortunate prelude to Schism that has nothing to do with Schism? Yeah, or schism I have schism. no idea what was going on in that series. I still don't know what's coming. <laughs> like, it was four issues of nothing. Um, Strange series. I, what, hap- what does happen? Okay. I, I mean, obviously, they don't Schism. But okay. <laughs> they, they sit there and they, no, they talk. The prelude to Schism ends with... Wolverine and Scott shaking hands and agreeing on the best course of action going into. So I have no idea what tears them apart. Like, I I know there is some sort of threat coming to Utopia, and that is it. Right, because it technically, I guess, takes place like halfway through Schism. Oh, really? Yeah, Wait, I think Prelude so. to Schism right. takes place mid-Schism? Yeah, because I think that 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 conversation happened. The threat that actually hits Utopia, I think, is like Schism Four. It, it's uh, been a long time since I read uh, it, but I remember it to being absolutely unnecessary to actual Schism. Okay, well, and like I, 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 I read have, it when it came out. I had very tangential X knowledge coming into my read through. Sure. I had read a few things here and there. I'd read Joss Whedon's Astonishing. Mm-hmm. I had read some Claremont stuff, but not all of it. Um, mm-hmm. Some of Claremont New Mutants, but not all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had read some of Wolverine and the X-Men by Aaron, but not all of it. Mm-hmm. And then as I, the reason I'm coming into this is Hickman hooked me with House and Powers Mm -hmm. and everyone else hooked me afterwards with Dawn of X and I'm like, you know what? I want to read everything and see how we got here. And so I started this project in December and have been plugging away and it just it seems to get more and more daunting as I finish a decade because like obviously the 60s, 70s, and 80s didn't have that many X-books. Like True. The 60s and 70s had one. Yes. <laughs> the 80s started the splinter with New Mutants and Excalibur and X-Factor and mini series here and there but the bar is still fairly high at that point <laughs> the bar is high like the books are good mm-hmm. it's claremont and it's wheezy and it's nocenti mm-hmm. everything is really good and really tight and then the 90s hit and like i know we give the 90s a lot of crap for being bloated in x-men books mm-hmm the 90s had 1,372 issues. Everything up until the 90s had 554 issues. So 
yes, in that sense, the 90s were bloated. Mm -hmm. But the 2000s had 2,172 issues. And the 2010s have 2,169 issues. So we didn't cut the bloat at all. No. No. It, it got more and more bloated as we went. So I don't know why people give the 90s a bad time for being bloated with textbooks when the 2010s and 2000s are just as bad and actually worse. Probably because <laughs> it was more noticeable. You know what I mean? Like, like the, compound, the interest is compounding exponentially through the 90s. Well, now it's like the status quo and we're all used to it. You yeah. Know, you can settle something that Dan and I were talking about, I think, off mic last week. <laughs> is there that there is an Archangel one shot from the mid to late nineties by Peter Milligan? I I seem to remember that. Okay, I so think. it is that unrem unremarkable. Other than um, oh yeah, I remember this one shot that had Archangel in it. I have to imagine. Like I said, I'm reading a lot of stuff as a blur. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I've read four thousand issues in nine months. I, I remember things that stand out. Well, and that's the thing. I was like, I was trying to remember if I just if it had faded from my mind or if it was as unremarkable as oh, yeah. it was a thing. Like, like Zeb Wells' New Mutants is one of the high bars. Oh, um, okay. I'm. Nineties uh, X Force after Rob Liefeld. The yep, the Nicieza um, era, very good. Yeah. Um, it's weird because I'm keeping a list of my favorite series from each de decade. Mm -hmm. And I just realized that as of right now, my list is the same characters each decade. Which characters? Uh, New Mutants in the 80s. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. X-Force in the 90s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Zeb Wells' New Mutants in the 20s. Ah. Or in the aughts, rather. Yeah. Um, as of right now, I'm only a year and a half into the 2010s, but as of right now, Zeb Wells' New Mutants is probably my 2010s pick as of right now. Hmm. Probably won't be by the end of it. Okay, yeah. Because um, it wouldn't feel right to give him two decades because yeah. he, came in in, he came in in 2009 and left in 2011, so... <laughs> Um, oh, it's like Mickey Rooney's film career spanning two decades. But I, I can also <laughs> guarantee that I won't give New Mutants my best of 2020s either. Yeah. It is <laughs> that one my... Hickman arc where they go to space. <laughs> yeah. No, my 2020s will probably wind up being either X Factor or Hellions. Oh, oh, okay, but... yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, um, that is. The big project I'm doing, I also read every DC book that they put out every week. Oh, wow. Um, every DC Universe book or every book that DC puts out? I don't typically read the YA books because mm. they're a lot longer. I do read everything Black Label. Um, I don't read Scooby-Doo on the weeks that it comes out. <laughs> But I read everything else. Okay, I read everything but Scooby-Doo and Last God. 
and that's I, I you, do you read, read the Looney Tunes Dog. ongoing? Oh yeah, and not Looney Tunes. <laughs> and then um, for Marvel, I'm reading all of the X line. Um, I am reading Immortal Hulk because I'm writing about it. Yep. Um, and I'm for other companies, I read Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, I trade weight for die and crowded even though i do get the single issues as well Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just i i don't want to i don't want to read them as they come i'd rather read them in one block Mm -hmm. um and then uh next year's project because i'm already planning ahead for what to fill the giant x-men sized hole in my heart (laughs) once i finish this Mm-hmm. thousands of issues um is going to be in all of cosmic marvel read through oh that's good i've read all that i that that's the, that has been my marvel soft spot since infinity gauntlet number one which i read off the rack and i've read everything since yeah um allison is going to help me put together that list of what I need to read and the order to read them in. Um, she, she's going to go heavy on Nova content. You know that, right? <laughs> well, I want to read it all. I want to read uh-huh. all of Cosmic, which means I do have to read Peter David, Captain Marvel. Um, but I want to read it all. Like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something. Oh, but you also have to go into the Ultraverse then. <laughs> I, I mean, I did some of that with my X-Men read-through. Yeah, because there's oh, yeah. Adam Warlock and the Infinity Gems are a big thing in the Ultraverse. Ugh. And that's going to be hard stuff to track down because it's not on that app. No. <laughs> I wonder if, I'll keep my eye out. I mean, I own all of that, but <laughs> if I see it... Because every now and then I'll see some of that stuff when I'm dollar bin surfing. <laughs> It's some of it's really interesting and some of it's not. <laughs> that tends to be how these things. I mean, you could describe the X to reading all well, of no, X. Yeah, yeah, no, like, universe stuff is, is strange. There's a there's a reason X Force is the best series of the '90s, and it's because everything else was pretty unremarkable. <laughs> I, uh, it's. I love that. I mean, the, the, all that Starlin stuff is so heady and weird. <laughs> God, the, the uh, and technically, you've got to go back because there, there's the 70s. stuff. No, you got to go back to the fifties. Are, are we? Are we? Uh, okay, yeah. that's what I was yeah. going to ask. <laughs> Groot yeah. and the Watcher both show up pre six one six. Wait, the Watcher. <laughs> Or there's, I think, a proto-watcher. I don't oh, think... Yeah, it's probably a proto-watcher. Yeah. Cause... But Groot himself and... Um, I guess the rest of those Marvel monsters show up in Fantastic Four. They don't really show up in the cosmic stuff. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Groot was cosmic, but I don't think yeah. all the Marvel monsters were. You know what I mean? Like, Googum, son of Goom, isn't uh, cosmic Marvel. <laughs> But I'm going to have to read a lot of Fantastic Four, and I'm kind of looking forward to that, because Fantastic Four is one of my big blind spots. I mean, Lee and Kirby FF is is actually good Lee and Kirby, as opposed to (laughs) Lee and Kirby X-Men, which was... 
not. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, there's there's going to be weird weird lines. Like, I mean, is Secret War Wars considered cosmic? Probably, but I've also I've also read all of Secret Wars already. Huh. Well, there you go, X Men. <laughs> and you'll have random Avengers stuff like the Celestial Madonna. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like it's a lot harder of a list to put together, which is why I'm recruiting Allison's help. Yep. Um, because with X Men, it was fairly easy. Like I knew the big events that I had to look for other titles from. Like I knew Onslaught had Avengers and mm-hmm. Spider Man and everything else books tied into it. I knew Avengers versus X Men obviously had bunches of that stuff. Um, every once in a while, I come across a. Uh, Oh, this is crossing over with Avengers that I didn't know about that I have to add to the spreadsheet as I go. Mm-hmm. I, I'll have to dig. I actually think I might have a spreadsheet or it might even be an old like notebook from like pre-spreadsheet days that traces all the appearances of the Infinity Gems from when they popped back up after Starlin through the end of the Ultraverse stuff. That would be useful. Because I, I, I have a long box of all of that stuff in, chronolo- in chronological order, like following the, the, the gems, <laughs> including all the crossovers to all of those cosmic events, to, to Gauntlet, War, and Crusade. Uh. So, you, so you've got... No. Much, <laughs> you you've got much reading. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We usually like we ask guests like, "Oh, what are you reading right now?" Yeah. They're usually, like it, they spend like a good five seconds, kind of like rubbing the back of their head, like, "Oh shit." Um, and they, they like <laughs> look around the room, like uh, Kevin Spacey and in, in the Usual Suspects. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I, I provided a but... very good answer for that. Yes. Um... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but Corey, uh, as we're wrapping up, uh, how can people follow you online uh, if you in fact wish to be followed? <laughs> um, the easiest place to follow me is on Twitter. Um, I am at CoreyMarie21 on Twitter. Um, most of my Twitter presence right now is posting screenshots as I read X-Men comics, whether good or bad. I I post a lot of here's what I like about this run or here's what I don't like about this run uh, content. Um, You can find my writing at womenwriteaboutcomics.com where I'm an assistant editor and the DC beat reporter. Um, I also cover Hellions and uh, Excalibur for our X-Men coverage over there. Uh, you can also find my writing at Xavier Files, where I cover Immortal Hulk and X-Factor and Power Rangers. Um, and then the other place you can find my writing most of the time is at Comics Beat, where I do a every three weeks DC column. All right. Well, that's a lot. And Corey, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A and WMQ Comics are now part of the Xavier Files media empire, meaning you can find all our great comics coverage, along with some of the best X-Men and Marvel criticism around, at XavierFiles.com. 
You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at XavierFiles.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice, and a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones and Match Club Podcasts, Robert Secundus from Docs Talks at XavierFiles.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, and Lan M. from Lan's Vids. You can follow WMQ Comics and Xavier Files on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. And until next week, in the immortal words of Abraham Lincoln, be excellent to each other. WMQA!